And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. The One Symposium will be taking place this year on November 5th, 2020. The symposium is designed for those who steward our shared public green spaces. Learn strategies on how to tend these valuable resources with ecological sensitivity. This year's topics include tree protection around construction zones, shrubs and hedges and their valuable function in the landscape, the benefits of community tree inventory program, stormwater case studies, and maximizing ecosystem services of our urban forest, selecting the best trees and managing for diversity. CEUs are given to arborists through ISA and PCHNSLC horticulturalists will receive credits through PLNA. Verdant Earth Educators is the sponsor of the event. Details can be found at www.verdantearthseducators.com backslash one symposium or email verdantearthseducators at gmail.com. This podcast was recorded on October 15th, 2020. Patrick Joyce is the nursery manager at Longwood Gardens. He oversees the woody plant production and procurement for the gardens. He earned a Bachelor of Science in Horticulture from West Virginia University and has been working in the nursery industry for over 12 years. When he isn't working with plants, he enjoys traveling, the outdoors, and being with his family. Welcome to the Plant a Trillion Trees podcast, Patrick. Thank you. What kind of skill sets did you bring to Longwood? In other words, how did you get into horticulture and how did you find your way to Longwood? So I grew up in, in West Grove, PA, which is just down the road here from Longwood. And I um, was fortunate. My, my dad was a nurseryman for J. Franklin Steyer uh, all through the 80s, early or late 70s, and through the 80s and into the early 90s. Um, so he was a nurseryman there. And um, I grew up in a house right across the street from the nursery. So I you know, always grew up on the farm and uh, always wanted to, it's basically all I wanted to do really from when I was a a young kid was to uh, work in the nursery business, which is kind of funny. But when I was in high school or early high school, I got a job up the street at, uh, at the local nursery there after Styers closed down. And um, I kind of started weed eating and, and planting and, and pruning and learning everything about that. And started to obviously working with plants all the time. It's very easy to learn everything. So, you know, I, 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 would take plant tags home and read about them in my dad's dirt book. And, you know, I just kind of developed some plant ID skills that way. And then um, my junior year of high school, there was a program here at Longwood called the groundskeeping apprenticeship program. And so I 
was in that program my junior and senior year of high school. And uh, we rotated through the gardens. We were able to take classes. We took continuing education classes at night. And it was just a, a really great way to learn plants. So by the time I was ready to go to college, I had a pretty good background in, in plants and, and landscaping and nursery stuff. Uh, so I went to West Virginia University. I was a horticulture major there. Uh, and minored in entomology. While I was in school, I interned out at Isley Nursery out in Oregon, where they're, they're a large uh, conifer grower. So it was great to get that exposure to the really big wholesale nurseries and see how they work. And then after I graduated, I graduated in 2008, which was a fantastic time to be looking for a job. And anyway, I, I landed at North Creek Nurseries as a grower, growing perennial plugs, doing propagation stuff there. I was there for a few years, and then I worked when Connor Pyle closed their wholesale yard. The local nursery that I worked at when I was in high school started a wholesale yard. So I came on there as an assistant yard manager and was introduced to the whole re-wholesale world. So we had about 100 acres of fields there that we worked with, and then uh, we bought in, bought and sold material there on the yard uh, for everything that we didn't grow. So two years ago, I had an opportunity to come here to Longwood as a, as a nursery manager, and here I am. Well, I just want to say, I think I'm blown away. Uh, this is, uh, that's a, an amazing trajectory. And I think this second question is almost kind of redundant, but are you propagating from seed and cuttings and taking the plant uh, through the complete process to transplantable size? Is that how it works at Longwood? For some things, yes. We, I, my job, we kind of have two parts here. So the main part of my job is, well, they're, they're sort of equal, I guess, but one part of the job is uh, we propagate historic plants from the gardens um, that are on our, what's called our specimen tree replacement plant. So we've identified uh, 247 accessions in the gardens that are historically significant or are genetically superior, or for some reason they've been identified that they're, they're very important, so we need to try to preserve them. So for those things, typically we're taking cuttings, not so much seed, they really want genetic copies. So some things, you know, propagating old plants is very difficult, um, especially, you know, several hundred year old plants can be pretty tricky. Some of those things, we're attempting to graft them and grow them on. And then when we get some juvenility back into the plant, then we can try to take cuttings for some things that are very difficult to root. So for some things, yes, we're, we're taking them all the way through. And, you know, yeah, that, that involves rooting them, you know, bringing them up as a liner, pruning them and then getting them out in the field, growing them on. And then the hope is to get them back into the gardens. And we've started to do that as well. I have to say that's really impressive. And I didn't realize that Longwood had that many historic trees. Sure. Yeah. So many of them are, are state champion trees or they were planted, you know, by somebody significant or they're in a very prominent spot or they're, you know, showing some disease resistance or, or something special about them. Um, but the other part of the job is, and, and the bulk of the plants that we grow really are for all, all of our seasonal displays. So our Christmas display, you know, all those winter berries and stem dogwoods and things that you see in the conservatory, we're growing them, you know, the whole year to get them up to size. And, uh, you know, a lot of the plants that they request for those kinds of projects are not things that you can just buy in those sizes typically. So we have to grow them into these larger sizes or different forms, you know, so that we can use them in, on display. We do a lot of seasonal things too. And then of course, permanent plantings for the gardens, you know, just certain, uh, maybe they're not historically significant, but maybe cool cool things that have just come out or plants that are hard to find elsewhere will grow in the nursery here for use in the gardens. But it's a, a pretty odd 
you know, thing to be running a nursery that doesn't sell anything. You know, we, we're not producing anything for sale. So it's everything that we grow is for use in the gardens or to be distributed to other, you know, botanical gardens or states or things like that uh, to preserve the genetics. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. If you were able to move stuff over Delaware Valley and, and basically the greater Northeast and here in the United States is, you know, chock full of botanical gardens and arboretums. So you are able on occasion to share something, say with the Arnold Arboretum, Morris Arboretum. Yes. Like that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So if there's something that we have, uh, you know, uh, a particular cultivar or something, some kind of historical plant that they would like, and then, yeah, we, we would arrange that and vice versa. Um, we can Great. get things from them as well. That's, that's yep. really a very neat thing that you can do that, which brings us to our next question. Were you involved or are you involved now with the, the genetic propagation of the polonias down at Logan Circle? So that was a little bit before my time, but I did hear about that, um, you know, how, the, how all that worked. Um, there are some things that we have done. And again, I've only been here for two years. So in the woody plant world, that's not very long, um, uh, you know, to go through cycles of plants. But, um, you know, when I got here, there were some sequoias. They, they, you know, Longwood had a history with sequoia trees here. They, I think um, early on, they had brought some sequoias from the West Coast and, and put them out on Conifer Knoll and they were growing there. And, Recently, they've started to, they, they declined and they ended up taking them out. So the thought was they were going to go to this, you know, other places in this area and find sequoias that uh, are thriving. So, you know, one of them, like at the Tyler Arboretum, has, you know, they have a beautiful one there. So we were able to get cuttings from that, grow that plant. And I think there were uh, three other locations in this area um, that had sequoias that were, that were doing, you know, well or, or pretty well anyway. And uh, we were able to propagate those and grow them. And then in some cases, uh, the mother plants uh, since then have died and we redistributed the sequoias back to those people so that they could grow them on um, and try again. Any idea what did the metasequoias in, the ones that were stressed out and declining, that uh, is distressing news? It was the heat, I think, ultimately that got them. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which pathogen, you know, it ended up uh, yeah. really taking them out, but, uh, but I think it was, it, it, I had to do with the heat. Yeah. Okay, good to know because uh, even I often talk about metasequoia and there's always that danger of saying, oh, it's the super tree. <laughs> well, these were, these, were the, 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 these were the giant sequoias, the, the sequoia dendron uh, is, is one I was talking about. Oh, okay. Actually, you know, what's really funny. Um, I remember them as a kid because I go back and I've, been going there since I was two years old and being pushed on the stroller by my parents. <laughs> and at the top of that knoll where those trees were, that was like my favorite place to go to see the giant sequoias. And yeah. once at one point they had this metal screen, like, you know, you would have on to catch somebody so they don't fall off the, the high wire. Yep. And they were having problems with squirrels peeling the bark. Yeah, I remember that when I was a student here. Yeah. And it was a real menace. But um, one of the other students who was in one of my classes, Matt Burgesser, Burgesser I think his last name is, he works over at um, Chanticleer. He was telling us, he's from the West Coast, he was telling us that it's, it's our humidity that really does them in. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think the humidity definitely is not very, not helpful, but right. uh, this is not the right climate for them, unfortunately, and it's not yeah. getting any better. No, we, we talked, we talked about that just in the last uh, podcast that we did uh, about climate change and how that's affecting what we're growing and what we expect to grow in the future. Do you have any um, crystal ball and are looking in that crystal ball to see what might be something new that we don't know about that how yeah. I can have a scoop on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, not just me, but the, you know, the, the research division here, you know, they do all kinds of different uh, uh, research projects on, on all kinds of different things. But one of the things that they're looking at, um, you know, are like particularly with oaks, different species of oaks that are, are more tolerant um, to our climate here now, you know, we're having a lot of problems with red oaks. And so they're looking at, you know, like I think it's mostly bacterial leaf scorch, but uh, they may have other issues too. So, the, so yeah, there are people here along with looking at that. Uh, from my end, I'm, I'm more interested in from our liner sources. You know, it used to be, you know, when I first started getting liners, we were always looking at plants from northern sources. We wanted stewardias from Michigan and from, you know, the upper Midwest that were super cold tolerant. And, and now it's, we're, we're trying to find sources further south that have, you know, more heat tolerant plants. So it's, uh, yeah. it's kind of funny how it's changed just in, you know, the last uh, 15 years or so. But yeah, it's always something that we're looking at. And um, yeah, we're trying to bring in more, more heat tolerant plants for sure. Like with Quercus, are there some things that are hopeful for working with in the Delaware Valley in zone seven. I, I don't think, uh, I think the Morris is cautiously rolling out live oak a little bit and uh, I've seen their test plots, things look good. Whether they can, you know, take a drop of, uh, you know, minus 10 for a week is is another matter. But any other oaks that you're hopeful about? Base, the basic oaks that we normally have um, are, you know, are white oaks, red oaks, sawtooth oaks, you know, kind of kind of the, the regular ones that we've been growing. But we've been trying uh, Lyrata. There's one called uh, salt, um, chestnut leaf oak that we've been growing. There's chestnut oaks that we've been growing. They seem to be doing pretty well. Uh, but we have a whole block, a liner block of all I would say maybe 10 different species that we've lined out in the field that are on pretty tight spacing. They're small, but we're mm -hmm. evaluating them. And we, we got the list, uh, Peter Zale here at, at Longwood gave me a list when I first got here of different oaks that he thought from, you know, places around the world that might do well here. So I'm kind of constantly bringing in things off of that list, but they're all pretty, pretty oddball, you know, foreign, not native oaks. So he's trying different things. On Tuesday, I was at the barns teaching there, and on my way home, I stopped to visit the largest Quercus lorata in the state. Wow. And it's right there off of City Avenue. Huh. And I was just going to say that would be a great place to get some genetic, uh, a new genetic line yep. for uh, Longwood, because the tree is, I think it's... Well, it's well over 200 years old, probably closer to 300 years old. And wow. it's sitting in a parking lot and it's being maintained. It has lightning protection and everything, but they do want to build a building there. And, you know, here's this old tree and, and we were looking, I was looking for acorns to see if there was any acorns there, but they must be awfully yummy because there was nothing left. And, uh, but the tree is really looking good. 
Great. So, yeah, that's one of the ones that we have. Uh, we've also we're growing macrocarpa, we're growing post oak. You know, there, there's a there's a few different ones. Um, so we're they're young. You know, they're they're pretty young. So we're gonna. It takes a little while to uh, to evaluate oaks, unfortunately. Yeah. I think we're about five years away. This is my cynical side of uh, starting to experience the uh, crepe myrtle overplanting. <laughs> and uh, what are we going to plant as far as small, tough trees that have a little bit of a nod to the southern climate zones? Because uh, I'm skeptical that uh, American hop hornbeam and uh, and regular hornbeam are going to, you know, Fit the bill. I think they have their own threshold with heat and humidity. Yeah, we've been seeing that with particularly the Carpina specialist. They, they've been the past couple summers have not been they've not been very happy, and uh, I'm not really exactly sure what's going on with them. But uh, and 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 yeah, in the ironwoods, I think people put them just in the wrong places. But you know, I think certainly um, I think Carpina. Well, now we're we're going non-native, so I don't know if <laughs> if it counts. But Carpina japonica. <laughs> Carpinus japonica, I think, is a great, yeah, really, really tough, um, you know, and, and Australia is pretty good too. Um, but I, but I, I think Carpinus japonica is a really good, tough tree. It kind of hangs on to its leaves a little bit, so you get a little bit of kind of winter interest, and uh, it's got some decent bark. Uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good and the one. Fruiting, and the fruiting is fabulous. Oh well, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I was going to mention that when I was doing uh, research with one of my colleagues at the university, we were studying Azalella fastidiosa, and we found that Carpinus caroliniana was susceptible to it, hmm. and really? uh, especially when it was under stress, we we found that our our the ones that we had on our campus had Azalella. So that might be one of the reasons that could be something that's affecting betula, of the betulas. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I think uh, you know Carpinus caroliniana is a is a really great plant. You know, in the woods, on the edge of the woods, but when people put it out in the wrong spot or try to use it like it's not supposed to be used, I think it gets a yeah. little bit of a bad name. Yeah. Right. What What about um, Div Davidia? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a great one. A um, little tough to grow, a little temperamental, but um, you know, I think if you're going to go that route, you could go with something like a, um, a Styrax obasia or something like that. It's probably a little bit uh, gives you sort of that same look, but uh, maybe a little more uh, homeowner friendly tree. <laughs> uh huh. Um, you know, that's a pretty good one. But yeah, I mean, Davidia is a beautiful plant. It's just uh, it can be a little tricky. Yeah, I was telling Hal that I was I was at this West Laurel Hill Cemetery. And I saw three of three or four of them up on the top of the hill there, and they were magnificent. Mm. They were young ones. Um, they were about about eight, maybe about fifteen feet tall or so. They were gorgeous. I think we have one big one here at Longwood, and then I I don't know if we planted any others. I, I have some in the nursery here. I have just regular Involucrata, and then I have one called Lady Sunshine, which is variegated, has a yellow variegation on it that's really nice. Um, I think the biggest one that I've ever seen is the one at Winter Tour. Hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. I wonder if you could share, uh, you know, like I said, you're very impressive uh, with starting out with your dad working at, uh, was it Styers? Yes. And any advice to young 
to the students or people thinking about getting into horticulture as a second career? Uh, what does that path look like these days? The thing I like about horticulture is so many different things you can do with it. You know, I mean, you can, like I was always kind of on the nursery path, but you know, I think the biggest thing though is, is, is just really um, working in the field and, and trying to, trying to learn as much as you can, you know, hands-on. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of classes you can take and there's a lot of, you know, things you can do, but physically working with the plants, touching the plants, feeling the plants, smelling the plants, you know, I, I, there's really no better way to learn them than, than get, you know, just getting out there and doing it. You know, the, you're never going to know every plant. You're never going to know everything. There's, it's a lifelong <laughs> commitment, yeah. really. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things, um, you know, you, you have to, you have to work hard in, in the horticulture business, you know, no matter what you do, you're, you're, you're working. <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, that's true. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think you have to kind of just go get it. You sort of have to jump in and, and absorb as much as you can. And, um, you know, if it's something that you're interested in and you, know, you should sort of naturally learn, learn what you need to, what you need to know. What did your dad do at Styers? He was a nurseryman, so he he dug trees and transplanted trees, and he did a little bit of landscaping and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, for the most part, he was on the farm. So you know they were hand digging trees. This was before tree spades, and also you know, um, they, they got ten or twelve trees dug in a day. That was a pretty good day. So someday we'll have to do a whole show, Eva, on hand digging and drum lacing because. Those people like Pat's dad, uh, that is a dying art. And man, the old black and white photos of giant bald and burlap trees being moved down the road to an estate, so impressive. And uh, like I say, there's just fewer and fewer old timers around that have that craft. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful craft. I, I used to have to do it when <laughs> When we had to dig our stuff from the nursery, of course I had help, but it was it was tough. And I was only doing large, massive rhododendrons. You know, they had shallow roots, not like a deep tree root. You had mentioned that you worked at Isley Nurseries, mm -hmm. which is an amazing place and unto itself. I have a friend out there in the garden communicators world, uh, Sandy Dittmer, who do you know Sandy. Uh, I, I don't think so. Oh yeah, Sandy is on the PR end of things, and she she would um, arrange for us to you know come out there and see the place. And but their quality is just impeccable, just impeccable. It, it was really you know you know coming from at that time I had worked at a nursery with you know maybe ten guys during the busiest season you know, and you go out there and there's like you know three hundred people working and everybody is excellent in what they do. They have very, very, very high quality standards and, and uh, just the scale of things. It was just amazing to me that they could produce that many plants at that high of a quality. Um, but, but really, most of the nurseries out there are, are just like that. You know, it, it was, I was fortunate they had a pretty neat intern community out there where they would take us once a week and we would go visit other nurseries and see how they did things. So we'd go to places like Bailey or J. Frank Schmidt or some of these, you know, really big nurseries and see how they did things. And it was just, it was very, it was eye-opening. But yeah, the quality was just unreal. And we still get plants from Risley here, actually. Yeah, I think they get them in the gift shop too. The yep. small yeah, ones. they do, yep. Smaller ones are nice to get because you can watch them grow. I think yes. 
Yes, a good, good one for a homeowner if they're patient enough, they can watch that's it. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, to be a, 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 a appreciator of, of conifers, you have to have some patience for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. What kind of influence do you think uh, Longwood Gardens has on encouraging their guests to plant trees when they go home and, and yeah. the community around them? Um, I know that they're very conscious about community and uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. You know, from the beginning, it, it, Longwood has been, uh, our trees have been very important to Longwood. You know, our founder bought the Longwood property because of the trees, uh, you know, down behind the uh, the conservatory there. That was the long wood. That was the tall, tall trees. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, it's a, it, it's been very important. And they do, you know, as you know, tons of, of education, all the continuing education classes that they have. They do a lot of, you know, on-site interpretation and walks and things, you know, uh, outside of COVID times, um, lots of different uh, in-person things to really encourage people to get out and plant trees and educate. I mean, education is, is part of our mission here. And in addition to that, you know, I've helped, since I've been here, I've helped with, uh, you know, community tree plantings and things like that to get out. And um, we would lead groups of volunteers to plant trees like in the city of Wilmington or things like that. So. Longwood's very involved and, and it is part of their mission and um, you know they have you know people entire groups of people that's their job is to you know help help the public uh, uh, get educated about about trees and plants. So you do have some staff uh, like you have a relationship with the city of Wilmington to help out on occasion? Yeah I think it was mostly through DCH through Delaware Center for Hort um, but uh, yeah yeah they, they do um, lots of outreach in that way and and even uh, with kids through the Seed Your Future um, initiative that they have to, to help educate kids about horticulture. Um, you know, they support that in a big way. So, yeah, it's um, they, they do a lot. I, I even had one of the uh, people from Wilmington who takes care of landscapes in Wilmington as one of my students in one of my shrub classes. <laughs> so I thought that was, that tells you a lot that, you know, Longwood really does influence a huge amount of people regionally and globally with their with their education their mission to make sure that people understand about plants and of course botanic gardens globally are so important for that very reason right now is longwood able to supply any of the planting stock for those community plantings or uh we had not done that but they do um we do get requests often from various organizations for surplus plant material, which they'll coordinate. And, and if we have things on hand, they'll, they'll donate for different things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but for those particular things, I think most of those plants came from uh, local nurseries like Octorera, or they're more like, uh, you know, small container trees and, and things like that. That's right. Yeah. Handle. Yeah. 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 We've had a couple of, couple times with uh, some of our guests and hearing about some, um, constraints and challenges that Pennsylvania nurseries are having. I guess there's been, uh, you know, one or two have closed down. Um, you know, uh, Pennsylvania Horticulture Society goes up near um, Niagara Falls at Schichtel's to get bare root trees. And uh, so we're always kind of bringing that topic up is, you know, the podcast title is Plant a Trillion Trees, but uh, are the nurseries in a position to supply a trillion trees? You know, tongue in cheek, but it is a bit of a concern. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially, you know, 
in this area, the land is is very expensive now. It's not not as cheap as it used to be out here. And um, yeah, unfortunately, nurseries are drying up a little bit out here. I mean, West Grove was known as the nursery capital of Pennsylvania at one point. Mm. And, um, you know, I can count a, a number of nurseries that used to be there that aren't anymore. Um, right. But I think the nursery, you know, I mean, you're always going to have shortages and there's going to be demands. And, you know, I remember like when uh, Hurricane Sandy came by, there were, you know, the year after that, there were no evergreens available anywhere. You know, the damage from that gobbled up tons of uh, tons of evergreens. There was that uh, Imprellus herbicide that came out yeah. that, that killed all the trees in the golf yeah. courses and stuff. And that ate up, you know, tons of trees. So, you know, you're always going to have uh, sort of, uh, it's, it's like feast or famine sometimes with the inventory uh, in, you know, across the board, but, but things kind of find, they, they sort of find a way of balancing out. And I think there are still a lot of really big nurseries out there, maybe not necessarily in this area anymore, uh, but there's enough, there's a trillion trees out there to be planted. Yeah. Yeah. It's ironic. We're batting this around here in Southeastern Pennsylvania when I was looking at uh, some topography maps for the state of Pennsylvania. It's a big state and there's a lot of space out there. Unfortunately, a, a lot of it's mountain. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So it puts it's some true. constraints on, on sites. Well, I think we're kind of wrapping up our time here. And Patrick, it's been great having you on our show. Um, I, we hope you can come back at some point and give us another lowdown of what's happening at Longwood. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, do you have great. any do you have any parting words or information or wisdom that you can give us or our listeners? We we have a global podcast here and it would be great if you had something to share. You know, with everything going on in the world right now, I think this is a great time to get outside and and appreciate trees and um and do some things in your garden. Yeah, and I guess it's as good a time as ever. <laughs> well said. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Pat. It was great. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.